priesthood, okay, Leviticus, okay, uh, Levi the priest. And uh, we know, according to the New Testament, that God says he has made us to be priests, okay? Uh, it is not a special uh, hierarchical position in Christianity or any other religion. Uh, every one of us are priests, according to the Bible. So we're learning what God wants us to do. And we understand that Romans tells us that all these things were written in the past for our learning today. And we've seen all the pictures and all the wonderful things that God's been showing us. But today, I want us to continue in this idea of daily holiness. Okay, we've been looking at this for several weeks. Daily holiness. How your treatment of people that you work with. How your response to your parents. The way in which you carry on your daily walk. Being a Christian and being holy. And again, please, uh, the word holy... And the word sanctified, okay, the word set apart, all come from the same Hebrew root. They are all the same. So when we're talking about holiness, it doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean you are something above others. It means you are set apart, okay? You are sanctified. What is my favorite illustration, folks? I've told you many times. A toothbrush, Okay, I just love that illustration for this. If you want to talk about holiness, if you want to talk about sanctified, set apart, I have a toothbrush. It is my toothbrush. It is not going to get used by anybody else but me, and I'm going to use it for exactly what I want to use it for. Okay, I hope this is the same way in your life. If somebody else picks up your toothbrush and uses it, uh, or picks up my toothbrush and uses it, I now find a new my toothbrush. Okay, because it's mine to use in the way I desire. If it's not going to get used to clean the grout, it's not going to get used to brush the dog. Okay, it is mine. That is the idea of holiness. You are set apart unto God. That is why this is God's holy Bible. It's not like these pages glow in the dark when I open it. Okay, or that they were, you know, blessed by some Tibetan monk somewhere. It's paper and ink. What makes it special is this Bible, what's written in it, is set apart to God. It is sanctified. It is something that he has made specifically for himself and his use. All right, so when we talk about daily holiness, we're talking about you and I living our lives in a way that we are set apart unto God. We are for his use only. If somebody else decides they want to use you, including your own self, for something other than God and what he has planned, then you're not set apart unto the Lord. And we just talked about this this morning in Sunday school, and I couldn't help, I didn't get a chance to grab Dan beforehand. But the solution to a life controlled by sin is a life abiding in Christ. If you dedicate your life to be set apart to abide to God, you are not going to live a life that is pleasing to the flesh or like the world. All right, and that's exactly what we're talking about. So, we're talking about daily holiness, daily sanctification. That our walk in Christ is not sufficient by just doing it for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Nor is it, good, you know, well, I had a Wednesday night Bible study in there, Pastor, so I got two days a week I'm going to do something for the Lord. Uh, that is not being set apart unto the Lord. Okay, imagine again, I know it's a silly illustration, but imagine if, okay, Dad, I know you use your toothbrush on Sunday mornings, but we use it the rest of the week. I'm going to get a different toothbrush, okay? It's not something where you can just say, well, for one hour during the week, I'm all set with God. God expects us to live a life of daily holiness, that we are his kids. And remember, we looked at how many times in this chapter God said, I am the Lord your God. The reason why we are set apart is because God is our God. And we represent him. The Bible tells we are ambassadors. We are supposed to be Christ-like ones. You don't get to be a Christ-like one for, from 9 to 12 on Sunday and the rest of the time, well, it's, you know, then the rest of the week is mine. No, daily holiness is exactly what it says. It is daily holiness. Now, page two, because this is what I didn't get a chance to talk to Dan. Dan talked about uh, last week we looked at characteristics of a child of God. 
This week we looked about uh, characteristics of someone who was not a child of God, someone who was uh, following the devil and the world and pagan ideas. Well, guess what we're doing this morning? We're going to look at daily activities listed here in this chapter of someone who was a pagan worshiper, not someone who was a worshiper of God. Okay, we've been seeing here, this is what I've commanded, this is why I've commanded. Now God is going to address certain things that those who are in the world. Now please remember, one of the biggest problems that the children of Israel had, and you and I have, it's the same problem, hasn't changed, is that there's a bunch of neighbors around us who are continually doing things that are in response to their own flesh or response to worship of other things than God. And the children of Israel observed this, and man, if you've ever spent any time reading the Old Testament, you understand that was a children. God continuously judged them for playing the harlot, meaning seeking after other gods, and they continually were doing the pagan, ungodly things that those around them were doing. Well, that's what we're addressing here. God gives specific commandments of things you need not do. Now, some of these things, when we read this passage, are going to jump out, and you're going to say, oh, see, I knew some of those. I know people who do that. Easy. Okay, don't jump to conclusions, because we've already seen that even though God in this book has already told us we can't eat lobster, and we can't eat, you know, pig, and we can't eat, that God wasn't exactly making dietary rules to last forever, that he was reminding us we need to set ourselves apart. Okay, there are certain things that God lays out that, listen, you need to make sure that if you're considering something, you do it for the right reason. And again, one of the ways we address this is not the question, why shouldn't I do that? But the better question is, why should I? Well, I... I can do that if I want to. Why, why can't I do that? Well, the better question is, why would you want to? And that's where we're addressing here. So we're going to read through this, and there's going to be some things that jump out at you, but we want to look at them from a spiritual point of view. So let's not uh, go crazy on it, but look at you with the Leviticus chapter 19. Let's start reading uh, in verse 26 to the end of the chapter. Thou shalt not eat anything with the blood. Neither shalt thou use enchantments, nor observe times. Ye shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shall you mar the corners of thy beard. Thou shalt not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be in whore, lest the land fall into whoredom, and the land become full of wickedness. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old men and fear, uh, fear God. I am the Lord. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him, but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and ye shall love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall not do, <coughs> do no unrighteous judgment in the midyard or weights or measures, just balances, just weights, just ephah, and a just hin, shalt thou have i am the lord your god which brought you out of the land of egypt therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them i am the lord let's pray heavenly father again we thank you for your word and lord we say that every word of god is measured there's not a single letter in this book that you put there accidentally we know every single part of it is important and Lord, we are reminded that uh, you wrote the things in the Old Testament for our learning, that so much of the New Testament completes the thought that you presented to the children of Israel guidelines, Father, that would illustrate a behavior 
And then, Father, you made it clear once the Lord Jesus Christ came and opened our eyes spiritually to this eternal, this relationship that we can have with you, Lord, that you completed these thoughts. And, Lord, help us today as we see that. Father, there are definitely some things here that uh, fit our everyday walk in this world. And so, Father, help us as we look to them. Lord, uh, be with my words. I am not the teacher. I am not the authority. Lord, we wholly depend upon the teachings of your word. So, Lord, give every one of us that what we need. Lord, be with my mind. Help it to share those things which help most for us to understand what you want from us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, he is talking about daily holiness, and now he's talking about there were some daily behaviors going on in the pagan world that didn't reflect God. So he's saying you got a chance to live every day for me, or please don't do these things that those around you are doing as a daily response to their worship. Okay, And we're going to deal with this very carefully um, because the majority of the stuff that we're seeing here is directly related to false gods and demon worship. Okay, And I want to make that clear. Uh, There are spirits in this world other than the ones that belong to God. And we'll be looking up a verse in 1 John in a little while uh, to remind us of that. There is a spiritual warfare. You want a great imagery. Uh, go look at Elijah and his servant, and God pray, he prays that God would open his eyes, and he saw for a moment the spiritual warfare going on. We were talking about this, studying the book of Revelation, and uh, where God had sent an angel, a servant, to speak with Daniel, Okay, back in Daniel, and he said, I, I, it took me almost two weeks to get to you because I was deterred by the spiritual warfare going on. There is a spiritual warfare. There are spiritual beings that are servants of God and spiritual beings that are not. Okay, and I need to make this clear because we're going to be dealing with things here that are in direct relationship to worship of those who are not from Jehovah God. All right. The first and foremost, and I don't want to cover this again because we taught very thoroughly on it in chapter 7 of this book, uh, Leviticus, but he talks about not eating blood. Okay, so he warns not eating blood. Now again, this is not as much a dietary command as a habit in your life to bring about something that God has provided in some other way. Hey, let me put that to you in this way. How many of you know vampires? Not personally, but you've heard of them. Okay, um, you know, all the way back to uh, what Lon Chaney and those fellows, way, way back, that this has been something that uh, has been popular. Um, you understand the concept behind it is a being who continually drinks human blood to continue to exist. All right, this is not something that's brand new. It has been going on for years. And as a part of pagan worship, people believed that what God says and the understanding behind it is life of the flesh is in the blood. We saw that in chapter 7 very many times. That the life that is within us is because of the blood that is within us. Uh, And we talked about the fact that even our first president, President Washington, died because of something called bloodletting. They thought if, you took your, if you're sick, your blood must be sick. If you take enough blood out of you, you'll take the sickness away. Duh, you take enough blood out of you, you take your life away. You're dead. Okay? The idea behind it in the pagan world was I want to add more life and more power to my life, so I'm going to take your life through your blood and drink it. Okay? This is not necessarily what we were talking about, about animals and sheep and goats and everything. This is a direct relationship with drinking someone else's blood. Okay? At the time, part of the pagan rituals was, um, I want more life force in me, so I'll drink your blood. And it went on continuously. And guys, we have glorified vampires in our world today, uh, just like just about everything else we're going to read here. There's a part in which our culture has made it cool. Okay, I'm not saying anything against that. Uh, fine, you know, people want to fantasize about things, but don't make it seem as if it's not something that's real. It is real, and it's been real for a long time. So God warns, please, don't be involved with those who are drinking blood. 
Don't drink blood yourself. You do not get any more life force. Now, here's the key. Here's the punchline. Here's the spiritual power behind this. The only one that can give blood to change your life is Christ. That is where the point is. He shed his blood. God himself, the blood of God, is the cure for our sin. That is where we get eternal life. That is where we get power. But it's been twisted enough that any blood was thought of as containing power. The devil loves to take a little bit of God's truth and mess it up and give the idea that because there's life in the blood, we know that it's not the blood of bull and goats, nor is it the blood of any other human. It is God's blood himself. But they twisted it, and we're drinking blood. You with me so far? So he says, don't do that. Now, we're, gonna, we're binding all this up in one big theme in a few minutes, so bear with me. He also says, don't be uh, involved in enchantments. Okay? Um, I guess a better way to put this in our mind today is there are pure words in this world and there are impure words in this world. And I don't necessarily just mean cussing. Understand, folks, there are words that have been used down through the ages to conjure up spiritual activity. Okay, there is an invitations that can be brought forth. Please don't, I'm not going to get into it, but this is not something that is to be played with. It is serious business. Now, I'm going to say something, I don't want to scare you off, and anybody who's a fan of this, don't get your nose bent out of joint, okay? But Harry Potter. How many of you ever watched or seen or done anything Harry Potter, right? Read the, the books, watched the movies, uh, I had a problem at Harry Potter at very first because J.R. Rowling's, what she did was actually took ancient enchantments and used them in the book. Okay, why? Because it was realistic. She was being a good student and put together some things there. Now, the point I'm trying to make is not, oh, J.K. Rowling, she, she used these terrible things in her book. What I'm trying to say is she researched things that had been ex in existence for thousands of years. These enchantments and spells and things that were designed centuries ago. Now the point is, we understand that words have power, don't they? You can nod with me? This book has power, we understand it does. God's word in its purity has power. Well guys, in the spiritual realm, there are words that have power. Be careful. And things that we hear and see in this world, we think, oh, Hollywood's just putting out another, you know, fantasy movie. Be careful, because words have power. And God is very careful here. One of the reasons I know that words have power is if God's warning us on how you say things and do things, then it must be serious business, right? Why would God warn you about not using enchantments if God didn't understand that there were problems with enchantments? And as a matter of fact, we're gonna, you read it with me a few minutes ago that he actually calls out wizards here in a few minutes. Okay? So he hates Harry Potter. No, I just, <laughs> come on. Uh, please, don't, that, remember I warned you right up front not to get overly crazy about this because we could. There are people who might. The issue is the words that you utter in your life, are they something that helps you with your daily walk with god your sanctification okay and again christians have gotten crazy about this how many of you remember the whole dungeons and dragons thing okay where the kids would go off doing dungeons and dragons and they'd get themselves wound up in dungeons and dragons if you know anything about dungeons and dragons sometimes it takes weeks to complete a full dungeons and dragons you know, epilogue that somebody puts together. And they would dress up and they would act like I'm the, you know, the, uh, the enchanter, the wizard, and I'm the this and that. And people were all wound up because they brought up old things from the past and were using those phrases and words. Again, don't get crazy, but I'm just telling you, they have been around for years. And they have been a part of demonic worship. Please understand this. This is where God is going. Are you with me don't know far, so far? Anybody throwing out their Harry Potter movies yet? Okay, all right, just go easy, all right? 
Interesting enough, and again, please, uh, this word enchantment in the scripture, if you look up what the word means, it actually means to hiss or to whisper. Okay, you Harry Potter fans. Anyway, okay, remember, God's word is the word that has power. Okay, it is pure. There are words in this world that aren't pure. That's the point. Anybody have a problem with that? That there are words that are pure and there are words that are impure. Just be careful. God's warning us. Okay, he says, uh, don't observe times. Um, how many of you have heard the, the, the word omen before? Oh, this is a bad omen. We better be careful. Um, there are ritual dates. Here's one for you. I love you, but horoscopes. Oh, I read this week is not a good week to buy a car. Why? Because, you know, Saturn is close to Venus and, you know, Sagittarius is doing a dance. Okay, please be careful. God is warning. There are not certain times in this creation in which you get to just decide not to do what you want to do for the Lord because of a position of a star. Now, here's the point, and again, there are spiritual understanding to this that God is trying to bring to our attention. Well, I need to go out and I need to, I really want to talk to my grandma about the Lord and my faith, and, you know, I'm going to go do that, but, oh, no, today is such and such Thursday, and my horoscope said it's not a good idea to do that today. Who are you listening to? Are you living your life because of what God has told you to do and the opportunities he presents? Or are you letting some sort of ritualistic, pagan idea twist your mind and control your actions? Okay, uh, here's a thought. We're canceling Bible study to go Christmas caroling. <gasps> But you don't understand, Wednesday night is Wednesday night Bible study. By golly, we have to have Wednesday night Bible study. If we don't have Wednesday night Bible study, God's going to strike us dead. Are we observing times? Or can we make an adjustment and try to be a testimony to our community as our church gathers with some of our townspeople and shows that we love them and want to participate in some things that... You know, sometimes, how many of you said, Pastor, my son invited me up for dinner Sunday. I'm, I think I'm going to go. And I say, good, go. Spend some time fellowshipping with your family. We're going to see this in a few minutes, and another response that he has is, too often we have sacrificed our family to some sort of holy ritual. I've got to be in church on Sunday morning. Listen, Dan talked about it this morning. It is a habit. What do you do on a regular basis? Is it a goal? Do you attend church because it's important to attend church and be with God's people and to grow and to learn and to minister? Or do you attend church because you think God's up there with a big check mark going, yep, they were in church today. Oh, yeah, and you know what? They haven't missed church in three and a half years. Man, here comes the blessing. Because if all we're doing is for ritual's sake, then what's any different than anybody else? Be careful not to observe times and years and weeks. And we're going to twist that, uh, you know, get a little thought of that in a, in a couple of minutes. Please remember. Okay, here we go. You ready, folks? Uh, some teenage fellers in here I'm looking at. Uh, be careful about your haircuts. I knew it. I knew it that tells you you shouldn't have a mullet or a mohawk, okay, no, uh, no reverse mohawks, yeah, listen, you with me what it says here, look, if you would, please, it says, thou shalt not round the corners of your heads, okay, meaning a haircut, please understand something, these were haircuts designed specifically as religious worship. That's what this whole section is about, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Okay? You're not eating blood. You're not observing certain days. You're not going to do, be doing enchantments. Please don't cut your hair in response 
to some sort of religious activity or some sort of being that you are worshiping. And guys, it went on all over the place. And you and I may not understand this so much because we live in America, which is this melting pot. And uh, we basically can get away with uh, looking and wearing and doing whatever we want, and it's supposed to be socially acceptable, right? Okay, doesn't matter what your hair looks like or what you dress in or anything like that. Uh, understand something, and Dan and I had an opportunity to meet some folks and uh, understand this a little bit better, that if you are in uh, places like Turkey or, the, or you know, more Eastern cultures, not Western like we are, but Eastern, if you have a dress shirt on and you button the top button, you belong to a specific rate, uh, religious sect. If you have the next button down, you're, if you have one of those scarfs on and you wear it doubled over and tucked in, that means you belong to this group. Okay? If you have your hair cut this way, that means you belong to them. If you have your, the, that's why they don't necessarily understand America, and that's why we are so often uh, infidels, because they just look and they, don't, they think we stand for nothing. Because their mentality, and that's where this is coming from here in this Eastern, Middle Eastern culture, is as a worship, you would cut your hair a certain way. So from across the place, you can say, look at all those worshipers of Baal. Look at all those worshipers of Zoroaster. Look at all, just by the haircut, because you all had the same haircut. You were identifying with the person you were worshiping. God is not telling you pick your barber. You better have a Baptist barber who gets your hair, you know, you better be evangelical the way they know how you cut your hair. I laugh at Dan all the time, not out loud because that's rude. Um, but he can grow a beard in three and a half hours. Okay, God's blessed him in that. Uh, he will have a full beard one week and then he comes in the next beard and he's got the long sideburns and he's got, you know, he can comb it over like a, uh, you know, Wolverine or whatever, and then he'll have a goatee, and then he'll have, he just able to, you know what? I think that's awesome. You know, come in and go, oh, look at his beard today. I wonder who he's worshiping. Okay, I don't have, I, I, it, I have to milk this thing for a month to get it to come out. Okay, because it actually says right here, look also, thou shalt not mar the corners of thy beard. Because again, there were so many things that went on that identified you with a pagan group and worship. Do you understand the theme that God's putting forth here? Be careful the way you present yourself to this world. Now in America, especially in Christianity, we've sort of washed this away and thought we can do and wear anything you want. Uh, and we had this battle. Listen, <laughs> back in what, early 60s into the 70s, if you had long hair, Okay, you were, you know, oh, you, all these kids with long hair, they're not Christians, they're ter it's terrible to see them coming to church with long hair. Okay, and then we went past that, and everybody wore long hair and kind of wanted to look like Jesus, and everybody had long hair in church. Yeah. The point is not your hairstyle. The point is who does your life identify with? That is the point. This is daily holiness. Every single moment of every day, are you a Christian, and people can tell, or does your life reflect something else? Okay? Granted, I'm glad that, uh, you know, somebody can come in with a mohawk, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a believer. But your life ought to make a difference. It ought to say something. And so many of you have done this, and like, like I said, I was a contractor for years, worked on job sites, and there's a bunch of rough and tumble fellows that work in that, in that business. But these days, you can just about find any business that it's that way. And I wouldn't walk in and say, hi, my name is Craig. I'm Christian now on your job site. I just want you to know that. I want to broadcast I'm Christian. Okay, I would just start living a daily walk. And then people eventually would say, are you a Christian? And I would say, why? Did I mess up? <laughs> and they would say, no, no, you don't swear, you're faithful to your wife, you don't, there's something different about you. And that's when I would look and go, thank you, Father. 
Because, you know, too often the problem with Christians is they declare Christians, but then their daily life doesn't reflect it. How about living like a Christian? Let Christ be seen through you, not just the words that you say. That's what we're talking about. You ought to live a, a daily life where people go, something different about him. I know that's been said many times, but they're, they're different, all right. Okay. Notice he also says, you'll have no cuttings in your flesh. Now, I want you to notice, uh, we don't, if we stop there, all of a sudden we can start dealing with uh, some cultural activities that are going on in our world now. But the idea is there will be no cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Okay, he specifically spells this out. And that is because, and it still happens, guys, if you don't, if you don't catch up on Easter time in some of the Latin American countries and some others, that there are still people in this world in 2021 who will cut their flesh because they think it is earning some sort of penance for those dead relatives and family members for them. There are guys that will nail themselves to the cross there are people who will ritualistically cut themselves and shed their blood. You get the idea? Okay. Again, they're thinking bloodshed of a human being is going to earn some sort of brownie points with God. There's only one shed blood that makes a difference. That's Jesus Christ. And just because you, and folks, I mean, down through the years, even in the name of Christ, there are those who would, knot themselves up with these big giant knotted ropes till it would cut into their flesh and they would take little scourges and whip themselves with it okay thinking that by damaging their own body that they're earning some sort of brownie points with god that is not what earns brownie points with god okay a daily walk it is not an activity of look lord i i cut this thing into my arm for you God doesn't, that was pagan demon worship that was being adopted by God's people. And unfortunately, it's been adopted. I'll be careful in saying this. The, the technical word, I believe the pronunciation correctly, is flagellation. It comes from the word flogging. That if you whip yourself, you'll make brownie points with God. God says, listen, you don't get to earn your way in any way in favor with me. But that was what the pagans around them were doing. Guys, uh, there's a professor, that, I, and I want, I'm just trying to share how real this is in our lives and how important it is that we set ourselves apart daily. His, uh, his name was Paul Hersan. He was a missionary to India for a while. And he said they would have a ritualistic day one of those days that the bible warns about not observing times on a certain day they would have a parade and in this parade they would tie knives and things to spears and all kinds of stuff and during this parade these uh pagan devil worshipers would walk down the street cutting each other and cutting themselves and they would be pretty bloody and they would walk in into the pagan temple and in the pagan temple was this nasty pool of water. It wasn't fed by anything. It was just a stagnant old pool with stuff growing in it. And they would wade into the pool and come out on the other side of the pool and all their cuts would be gone. And then they would turn around and look to the Christian missionaries and say, this is what our God can do. What can yours do? Understand this has been going on for thousands of years. It is not something that it is God warning for no reason. He's just not putting fluff out because the pagans were continuously cutting themselves to show their allegiance and the power of the demons that they were worshiping. Now, again, I know this is heavy for a Sunday morning, but we, we go verse by verse for the scripture because so, we don't want to miss anything that God's wanting to tell us. He says, watch your behavior. Okay. Um, here's the next one. And uh, again, don't get all jazzed up by it, but it says, nor print any marks upon you. See, I knew tattooing was wrong. 
there's the verse I wanted. I always wanted that verse that you shouldn't tattoo yourself. Well, if that's the conclusion we're jumping to, take it easy. Okay, because this is, again, in regard specifically to identifying with worship of devils. Okay, um, now again, personally, I feel that most of the time uh, tattooing is a youthful indiscretion that most people want to look cool or want to be, um, they're not personally satisfied with themselves, so they think if I add some artwork to me, it'll make me feel better about myself. Um, again, most of the time, uh, most adults I run into that have matured look back and say, yeah, well, I got that one as a young, no big deal. It's not that important to them now. But it's funny to me that sometimes I'll run into uh, 40, 50, 60-year-olds who want to get a tattoo, and the response to that is, well, I want to feel young again, like a young person. There you go, okay? What kind of reasoning is that? Anyway, not why, why should I do it, but why, why shouldn't I do it? Why should I do it? Anyway, that's not the point here. The point is, back in those days, there was be specific marks made on your body to identify you with a worshiper of a certain demon, devil, or false god. It was common practice in the culture back then. Just like shaving your hair, shaving your beard, okay, you, they would put specific marks on their body. And you think, oh, that stuff doesn't happen today. Oh, doesn't it? Um, you ever watch the news? You can tell what kind of gang a person's in by the tats they have, can't you? You can tell what a little teardrop is that's been filled in, right? Anybody know what that one is? person puts a teardrop that's not filled in means they've been uh, arrested for assault. If it's a teardrop is there and it's filled in, it means you've murdered someone. If you have several teardrops and they're all filled in, okay, this is stuff that, and we think, oh, tattoos are so innocent. Some of them are. In that youthful indiscretion, I just want to put something pretty on me. But tattoos are still used. Do you realize there are tattoos in some other countries that identify you as a prostitute? That you could just look across the street and go, oh, look, she has that mark. I'll ask her how much. You understand God's point? Tattoos for thousands of years have been used to identify you with a specific group. Same with the haircut. Same. God is saying, listen, don't you put marks on your body. Don't you cut your hair weird. Don't you... Don't do all those things that the pagans do to identify yourself as a worshiper of God. That is not what makes a difference. What makes a difference is your behavior. Don't fall into this pagan worship idea of... There's also ones today... How about, uh, let me hit one more note that might ring true even more today. There are tattoos in this world that represent that you are a racist. Isn't there? You put a swastika on you, and everybody knows. Okay? You see what God's trying to tell you? He's not saying, oh, look, Mom got a little butterfly on her ankle. Shame! Okay? Why? I don't know. What's the purpose? I guess if you think a butterfly makes you look cute, okay. The point being here is don't do things to your body to identify yourself with who you worship. That's not the way God works things, okay? And again, uh, let's pick on Christians for a little bit. I grew up in the era where if you wanted to be a good, solid Christian, you wore a three-piece suit to church with a tie. Okay, blue pinstriped if you really wanted to be spiritual. And not just regular shoes, you had to have wingtips buff to a high sheen. And make sure your fingernails are clean. Now you think I'm joking, but I have heard pastors say that exact phrase. How many times have we addressed the fact where Christians have stood at the front door of a church and if a young lady showed up without a skirt on, they were turned away at the door. Because all of a sudden we think some sort of physical 
attribute that we can put on in our bodies makes us spiritual, you've got a lot of learning to do. Because God works on us from the inside out, not the outside in. He has always changed the heart. It is not outward appearance, it is not rituals, it is not activities that prove that we're a true worshiper. And God's trying to warn us of that. With that in mind, talk about getting really creepy. He says, do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be a whore. Now, some of us, that would just repulses absolutely unbelievable that you would even consider that. But understand something. In this culture at this time that God, in this same idea of identifying with somebody and doing some sort of outward appearance to make you please God, there were so many cultures back then that if you had a daughter, a father would voluntarily send her to the pagan temple as a prostitute because she would earn that family favor with that false god. Okay, we talk about a New Testament uh, where we're talking about the prophetess Diana and the temple to Diana. And that it, you can look it up culturally. Greeks, Romans, all the way back. Pagan temples were filled with young women who were there for the purpose of earning brownie points for their family. This is not some dad going, I hate my daughter. I'm gonna, well, you know how I'm going to punish her? I'm going to send her off to the temple. That is not one bit what's going on here. This was a voluntary action where the father would say, you know what, we worship such and such a God, such and such a spirit, such and such a demon, and we will sacrifice our daughter to the temple. We'll have her go down and earn brownie points so we can impress our God. And don't cringe too hard. How many times in history have we seen people beheaded, babies offered, by cultures in impressing their God. We're going to deal with that in, in next week where it talks about offering your children to Molech. Listen, it's not these pagan rituals that impress God. You are not going to show you are a servant of Jehovah by any of these activities. He says, do, do not prostitute your children. But I find it interesting. <sighs> How many of us in Christianity force our children into behaviors because we think it impresses God. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know how many good, solid Christian families there are whose children can't stand church because out of blind ritual, not out of spiritual growth, not out of nurture and admonition, moms and dad, as service to God, force their children into compliance with no explanation. You will do it because it's what we have to do to make God happy. And they begin to resent God because they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. They're just carrying on a ritual to please God and before you know it, they're driven away from God because as parents, we're not nurturing them. No, we're not bringing them up and teaching them why this is important. We're just forcing them into behaviors. God says, be careful. Too often, we sacrifice our kids for the sake of ministry. By golly, you're going to be in church because I said you're going to be in church and you're not going to wear those clothes. You're going to wear these dress clothes and you're going to sit in church and you're going to be still. And just forcing behaviors without understanding. And we lose our children because of ritualistic compliance. Yes? Again, if, uh, I'm not saying every child. Your Bible's clear on this, guys. If he, is there, my father-in-law... Had, had some struggles with this, so did my dad and, and, and other Christians that I know. Well, the Bible says, train up a child in way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It never says, train up a child in a way he should go, 
and he'll not depart from it because each person in this world has to understand and make the decision that their service to God is from their own heart, not because somebody else told them to. But too often in Christianity, we wind up ritualistically forcing ourselves to do stuff. Folks, I'm hoping you're seeing how this plays out. We started this morning reminding ourselves that it's not about just showing up in church on a Sunday morning that makes you spiritual, that you can call yourself a Christian, that it's a daily response. So forcing our children to come to church on Sunday just because they have to be there, is that a daily walk with the Lord? A daily sanctification in the setting apart? Or is that just, by golly, you're going to do what I tell you and be there? It's a lot more like ritual, isn't it? Got to be careful. And I'm pointing my fingers at me, too. As Christians, we can turn anything into a ritual. I love, I love this ritual we do. All right? And you're, what, what, are you, what are you talking about, Pastor? All right. Let's sing number 207. Everybody stands up. Right? Now, I don't have a problem with that because, honestly, you sing better when you're standing up. It's an honest truth. Okay? But it's just so funny in churches. You can say, all right, uh, we open up the hymn book and everybody's legs straighten. Just because we're so used to doing things. There's one Sunday, I, I just want to scramble things up. I'm going to come in the first thing, say, open your Bibles, I'll preach first, and then we'll sing. It would give everybody a heart attack. Why? Because sometimes we're ritualistic, even our behaviors. <clears throat> How many of you are sitting in the same pew that you sat in every week for the last 20 years? We as human beings carry on certain kind of habitual things. We have to make sure that that's not what we think God is impressed with. And it most certainly is not going to show the world because there's millions of people who do Christianish rituals to give themselves some sort of confidence that God's happy with them. Now he says, keep my Sabbaths and my sanctuary. Now I'm going to put a caveat on this one. Hold on to that one because in a couple of chapters we're going to deal specifically with what he's talking about. Okay, and again, well, Pastor, what, what, how is that different than observing times and things like that? You already said don't do. Well, remember, and we covered this a little bit, God has given us seven Sabbaths in the Scriptures. Okay, seven Sabbaths. And each one of those Sabbaths are pointing us to the idea that he has a master plan that he is working out. Okay, there's a Sabbath of days, there's a Sabbath of months, there's a Sabbath of weeks, there's a Sabbath of years, there's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. Okay, God doesn't just talk about Saturday. All through his word, he tells us that there's a plan I've got running. Trust me, I'm working it out. There's a system in play. And we talked about this this morning and in Sunday school, that trust God. He's sovereign. He knows what he is doing. Okay, we'll get back to that one. So I'm, I'm kind of bailing on that one because in the future chapters we're going to cover that. He says, don't deal with anybody that's got familiar spirits. With me so far, regard not him that have familiar spirits. Okay, um, there are spirits in this world that are not of God. I'll just be honest with you, love you. Um, there's certain folks that get on the radio here in our local station, or you can call in, or you can go get, flip some tarot cards, or get your palm read, or we'll try to tell you what I'm hearing from the spirit world is such and such. Um, be careful. We know for sure that there are stories in the Old Testament, and again, if we were going to be here for the next couple hours, we could flip through and see where people have sought out spiritual advice from other sources than God. It's not unheard of. God says don't do it. But what's interesting here, we got to be careful that this doesn't happen to Christians. For a while there, Christians got into this idea of guardian angels, and I have an angel, and 
my angel protects me and my angel guides me and eh, wrong. Yes, there are angels. Yes, we know that God says that those angels are ministering spirits that help believers. But you know what guides me? God's Holy Spirit and His Bible. You don't find anywhere in the Bible where angels are going to be giving you personal advice on how to live your daily walk. But there are Christians in Christian circles who've gone angel happy to the point where our Bible warns us not to worship angels. That though, uh, go Colossians. I, just, I want to read it. Sometimes if I'm just stating it out, you're going to take my word for it. Listen, I want you to see it. Especially as we get closer to God wrapping this whole thing up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. He says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. God says, Be careful. Be careful. Somebody come up to you and said, I had a visit from an angel. Tell them not to eat pepperoni pizza before they go to bed. Anything contrary to this book, this book is the authority. We'll get there. I'm running out of time. Okay. Please. And if you don't understand what's going on, there is channeling. Have you ever heard of this word? Channeling that goes on that there are multi-billion dollar businesses that will bring in people to help them channel from the spirit world some guidance do you understand it happens in our military that we want to get in contact with the spirit world so we're going to bring in somebody to lead us in a seance or lead us in a contact folks uh, this is all warning signs of the things that go on in our world be careful it's happening. Don't get caught up in it. Especially angels in Christian circles because people love to think about angels. And again, please, I, Joyce, I know you love angels. Don't go home and destroy all your angels. <laughs> yeah, if anything in my house starts talking to me, uh, you can visit me over at the rubber room. Okay. Yes, they are pretty. Okay. Yeah. Next one is along with this, neither seek after wizards. Okay, all you Harry Potter fans are just crying now, right? This is not what he's talking about. Okay, so there are, there are familiar spirits. A wizard is someone who consults familiar spirits. Does that make sense? Okay, we're not talking about somebody has a wand, somebody who rides a broom, somebody, you know... Um, basically in this culture, if, if there were familiar spirits that you would claim to talk to the person who was claiming to talk to them would be the wizard okay um, the bible has a witch that speaks later on and god shows us that this is something that but he says stay away from them um, there are those who get their guidance from spiritual beings i get my guidance from this book okay please understand this they're there's a whole world full of people. And again, I, I like turning on our local station so we can get news, but there are times I turn it on and go, <sighs> because I'm getting, I'm getting something happened to you five years ago. Did something happen to you five years? Who are you getting that information from? Be careful. It's out there in this world. Um, But there's not just the only people who are those who claim to be in contact with familiar spirits. There are those who, for no other word I can think of that fits, is charlatans. You know what that means, right? It's a con man. There are charlatans in our world who have television programs and radio programs and churches in the name of God, but do very little when it comes to God's word and his truth. There are very few, there are quite a few reverend people out there 
who I never hear say anything about the Bible. All they do is talk about cultural stuff. Talk about social stuff. Guys, if there's one... Our Bible tells us to try the spirits. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Listen. Dan's going to be there in a couple of weeks. Couple of weeks, and I don't want to steal his thunder, so I'm not going to fully teach this passage. But First John chapter four, listen to this. Oh, that's First Peter. Not going to do me any good. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Paul's, I mean, uh, John here is reminding us, guys, there are those who are going to sound like they're Christians, but beware, because not every spirit out there is of God. There are false prophets. That's this idea of these wizards, those who are conjuring up things and leading people astray. Go back to Sunday school if you want to hear more about that. Okay. A couple more things. It says, honor the elderly. Man, that's something we're losing. And we just dealt with this a little while ago, right? That uh, with wisdom comes, uh, with age comes wisdom, right? And uh, anymore, it seems like in America we're having a struggle with this. Some of these Eastern societies, they still understand this. China and some of these other places who show a lot of reverence to their older population. Um, but a couple guidelines with this. I just want to put this out there. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. Proverbs 16, 31. Listen to this. The hoary head, that same thing. Now, you guys know what hoary head means, gray hair, right? Okay, that's God, one of God's ways of saying it. Gray hair. The hoary head is a crown of glory if... It be found in the way of righteousness. I've met some old folks who've got gray hair or a bunch of loons. Okay? God says, listen, honor them, but those who are in the ways of righteousness, if you look to Psalm 119, young people, us, you know, look, Psalm 119, uh, 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimony is my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. So here's a young man saying, you know, I know some elderly folks and I've got more understanding than them. Why? Because I keep God's precepts. You know, honor the hoary head if he walks in the ways of righteousness. Last little bit. Oh, two more. Number one, love, your, love a stranger. Guys, and this is something we talked about last week. Oftentimes in Christian circles, and I love you, and thank the Lord we have a very welcoming church, but I have been in churches that aren't necessarily that way, that somebody comes in that we don't know or that uh, presents a little different image, and all of a sudden Christians have this better-than-thou attitude. Better than thou in the world, better than thou with the people you don't know. The Bible says, if a stranger comes in, love them. Again, how many times have we talked about God says, love your enemies, love your neighbors, love, love, love. The entire Old Testament is founded upon one word, love, too often. And again, this was what was happening with the children of Israel at that time. People would come in who weren't keeping these commandments, and the children of Israel would shun them because they thought they were better than them. And God warns says, don't you dare do that. Because, now look at these verses, the, the verse here, it says, Thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know one of the things that I forget sometimes? I forget who I used to be and who God, what he did for me. I am so glad that God didn't shun me when I was a stranger. we got to be careful. If we forget where we come from, it's hard. When someone comes in, when you meet someone, when you encounter someone who's a little different than you, who has different understanding, 
be careful. If a stranger comes in, it says, treat them as one that was among you. Love them as thyself. Because you know what? My God is absolutely perfect. He cannot deal with sin. He has existed forever apart from the vileness that's on this earth. Yet, he decided to voluntarily humble himself and come down to this nasty old planet that is cursed with sin so that he could offer his love for me. Don't forget that. Because at one point, you and I were strangers. Now the last one, and here it comes. Have just weights and balances. Meaning, don't cheat anybody. And again, I think we can culturally put out the idea here. There were times where you'd come in and, and uh, want to buy a, a, a ephah of grain, or you would want to buy something, and there were unjust weights. Okay, sometimes they would color clay to look like metal, so that when they weighed it out on the scale, they were cheating you. The Bible uh, makes it clear God hates that. He hates, um, you look in Deuteronomy several times, God says, I hate unjust weights. So, the idea behind it is be fair in your business, but there's much more deep spiritual meaning to this. Um, you know, in our country, in America, we have a department that makes sure that everything is measured perfectly. Okay, whether it's a clock or a weight, pounds or whatever, uh, I can't even remember what it's called, the Department of Weights and Measures or something, uh, I, I might be it, um, so that there is an absolute standard that everything is measured against. Now let me say that again. There is an absolute standard that everything is measured against. There is an absolute standard that everything is measured against. There is an absolute standard that everything is measured against. And that is the word of God. That's the key to this. Don't have unjust weights and balances. Now I'm going to address one thing very quickly. There are a lot of versions of this in this world. Okay? I don't necessarily struggle with the idea that some people may be reading different versions. Okay? Here is my point, though. If... We know 60 seconds. You, how, many, how many of you know the atomic clock? Nowadays, we don't even have to worry about it. Our phones keep perfect time with what time should be. But you've got one of those clocks at home that's always like two minutes slower every couple of weeks. And before you know it, you have to fix it. Okay? Or if you were like the 1980s, they had these atomic clocks, watch, wristwatches, that actually would, every like evening, would make contact with a satellite and adjust the time You know, before cell phones were out and everything um if you want to know what time it is and i say it's about 12 okay nothing wrong with that is there anybody have a problem with that okay if somebody said pastor what time is it it's about 12 okay there are some versions of the bible that that's what is the understanding you read it and it's about something you get a general idea of the concepts but if we had an explosive device that was going to go off at exactly 12, it would be important to say, Pastor, what time is it? It's 11.57 and 37 seconds. We know that we have exactly 2 minutes and 17 seconds to find safety or defuse the bomb. Okay? Um, I heard a pastor say it this way. If you are going to launch the space shuttle... You don't say, eh, around one. Okay, there's a countdown to exactly when it will be. That, that standard is absolutely important when you really get down to the nitty-gritty. That is why we in our church choose to preach out of the King James Version. It has been around for 417 years. It has been God's standards for a long time. If you want to read a, another version, I have, that's fine. But understand, that's around 12. You want it the thing that's going to pinpoint it closest? This is why we preach out of this book, because it has been proven over and over and over again. Okay, and so hopefully that's the understanding. Uh, if I'm going to want to know what the Constitution says, I don't go get the Reader's Digest abridged versions of the Constitution. I read the Constitution, the real thing. 
Okay, if I want to read Shakespeare, you can get the lazy version of Shakespeare and read it, you know, or you can get the real thing. Okay, what's funny to me is so many people will read Shakespeare and not go down for the, for the easy version, but when it comes to God's holy word, they want to go right for the simpler thing. Please remember, the Bible says study to show yourself approved, not read to show yourself approved. Okay, it, it should be an effort, shouldn't it? Anything we're going to do well should be an effort. But there's the point. So again, there is a standard that everything needs to be measured by, and that's this. All right? So please, we talked about it last week. If you're going to spend time in your life reading stuff, make sure the number one thing you're reading is God's Word, because it is the standard, it is the measure to go by. All right? Any other questions? God is really showing us the first part of the chapter, he said, this is what I want you to do living daily by my standards. He goes on in the back half of the chapter and says, please adopt, don't adopt the standards of these pagan people around you. And the last verse of the chapter says, therefore, ye shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord.